Hello, I'm Stephen Groom. Welcome to Let God Speak. Our subject today is entitled Covenant Law. What do you associate with the word law? Naturally, you'd think of restrictions. Police officers who give out traffic tickets and fines and judges who hand out jail sentences. We associate law with punishment, don't we? However, in biblical terms, we should associate law with the positive attributes of order, harmony, stability, and even love. Yes, law and love. Can these two words be used together? Please join us as we seek to understand covenant law as revealed in God's word. On our panel today, we have Adrian Craig and Rosemary Malkovich. Shall we begin with prayer? Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you will be with us panelists. Help us to communicate this important subject and help our audience to understand covenant law more clearly. We ask in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. Amen. It's already been shown that God's covenant in the Bible can be defined as, as a contract or agreement that God initiates to mankind in order to raise them from a sinful condition back into a restored relationship with God, a saving relationship. But I'd like to ask Adrian, what can you define law for us that's associated with God's covenant? Law, as uh, the Old Testament understands it, has to do with instruction, direction, guidance. The word... Uh, we use the English word law, but in the Hebrew, it's Torah, which is instruction. It's a very broad term. Yes. And I believe that there's a text in Scripture, Exodus 34, 28. Yes, I should read that. Uh, it says, Moses was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights without eating bread or drinking water. And he wrote on the tablets, on the tablets, the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So the Ten Commandments and the covenant are linked together. So that's most important that we can define the, the Torah or the Ten Commandments of, of the Decalogue associated with God's saving covenant, even to this day. However, Rosemary, is there evidence the God of the Bible ever reached other nations besides Israel? Well, there were, there were individuals that he, he that are recorded in the Bible that God actually spoke to and was able to work with. And if we look in Genesis 20, 33 to 6, we won't look at it now. There was King Abimelech. He was a Philistine, a heathen, as some people would call him. But he actually, God thought of him as a righteous man. He had integrity and God spoke to him in a dream. And then in Exodus chapter 3, we're introduced to Moses' father-in-law, Jethro the Kenite, yes. who was a priest of the Most High God. Um, and so he sacrificed to God. There's a number of places where he, um, Jethro comes into the story. Then in Genesis 14 with Abraham, we're introduced to Melchizedek. Melchizedek. And in Hebrews, Jesus is acquainted with 
or associated with um, Melchizedek in the same order of priesthood. Melchizedek was the king of Salem and he was a priest of God. So these are men that were living amongst who would be classed as heathen, but they were actually um, working for God, associated with God. And then, of course, there's Abraham. He himself came from Ur of the Chaldees, which was a pagan area. But he listened to God and God was able to bless him and use him. Very interesting. Thank you. Mm. So people outside of Israel were part of God's covenant. Well, Israel didn't exist at the time because they came through Abraham. But yes, God had different people. Of course, we know Noah and people like that earlier. But these are some of the others God worked with. Of course, it applies to many nations, uh, Mm. Steve. Yes. I mean, uh, Romans makes it very clear that it was God's purpose that he might show glory through Pharaoh, through Egypt. We'll be touching on that later, won't we? We saw that God's covenant is associated with the Ten Commandments. But could the law or the Torah, as you mentioned, be associated with other things? Yes, according to Deuteronomy 4.14 and also verse 45, such words as statutes and testimonies are all associated with the word law. And uh, the actual word testimony is used about 60 times in the Old Testament almost exclusively refers to the Ten Commandments. Yes. So there's a, quite a use different words that are used in English to, in, to uh, highlight the same thing. Yeah, so a very highly structured uh, set of instructions for, for his people, wasn't there? So why did God provide so much instruction for Israel? And in what way were the instructions for their good? Um, Rosemary. Okay, God was instructing them because they needed guidance in the ways that would um, reflect God in their society and to other people. Um, they were a growing nation, so they needed law. All nations need law. Yes. And so that's what God was doing when He gave His law and His covenant to them. And they were supposed to be partners with Him in it. Um, He showed them how the law was supposed to be involved in every single part of their lives and their relationships with others as well as their relationship with God. And when you compared the law of God to the other barbaric nations around them, there was such a contrast that the other nations would see their laws and their harmony and their good society and how blessed they were and how everything got, aw- got around, you know, went on without the problems yes. that the other nations had. They would say, what are these laws you have? They're so wise. So it was meant to demonstrate that these laws were to have a positive benefit upon Definitely. God's people, wasn't it? Bring them happiness in, in their social relationships yes. and, and in the way that they related with um, other nations even. Yes. So what truth about the presence of God's law in the covenant relationship teach us about God's essential nature, Adrian? I think probably, yes, Steve, it's good to go to the uh, sanctuary service and you end up in the most holy place where God revealed his glory in the form of the Shekinah and in the actual uh, ark were the, the Ten Commandments. On top of the ark was the mercy seat. So you've got law and you've got grace going together and that's the thing we need to keep in mind that the law is given but it's always in the context of grace. So the instruction that God is giving 
He's giving in order that they might know how to live in close relationship with him. And, and the law was a transcript of God's character, was it not? That's, exactly. It's the seat of his authority. That's why it was underneath him. And, and to do away with the law is to do away with God. Do away with God. Abraham Lincoln asked his debate opponent on one occasion, if I call a dog's tail a leg, how many legs has the dog got? And his debate opponent thought for a while and said, well, if you call the tail a leg, he's got five. He said, no, you're wrong. You still only got four. You can call a tail a leg till the cows come home. But <laughs> it's, it's still, still, only, still only four. <laughs> so Very all I'm saying is the law is immutable, unchangeable, and to wipe out the law is to wipe out God. Yes. Mm. So does this connection between God and his law provide any security for us? Uh, it most certainly does, even though we can't always discern God's working in providence we know that God is in ultimate control and everything will work out the way that he has said in prophecy. So we can have a sense of security because God is in control and God is trustworthy. Yeah. And so then that should help us in our daily lives, no matter what is going on, no matter how haywire things seem to be. We have someone who is bigger than us yes. and who will make things work out. And so the word that comes to mind for me is reliability. Mm, God's nice law thing. is reliable as God is reliable. And it uh, provides security. Steve, could I just read some text? Yes. I'm reading from Psalms 19, beginning at verse 7, where it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, con reviving or converting the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. You've got these words against statutes and testimonies. Yes. Uh, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. And I could go on, but the very beautiful verses that highlight the centrality and the significance and, and the beauty of the law. Well, it goes on to say the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Yeah. Yeah. And what comes that stands out for me is that these attributes are all for our benefit, aren't they? There's nothing negative in what the Lord does for us. Yeah. I actually have a, a quote here from Walter Beach um, from the Dimensions in Salvation, and I think it's absolutely brilliant. I think it's fantastic. And it's, he says, The assurance that God is reliable and dependable lies in the truth that he is a God of law. His law and his law, his will and his law are one. As the law is an expression of God's will, it is thus the constitution of his government and defines our duty to God, the commandments 1 to 4, and to our fellow human beings in commandments 5 to 10. God says that right is right because it describes the best possible relationships. Therefore, God's law is never arbitrary or subject to whim and fancy and I love this statement. It is the most stable thing in the universe. That's I think that that's a wonderful quote. Yes, very. Thank you for that. So we can clearly see that the law is to be a guide to our lives. But um, there is a danger of seeking to keep the law without doing something else. Um, so is there a power in the law, Adrian, to, to ke actually keep it? I would probably describe the law like the bus timetable. The timetable doesn't drive the bus. It's important and probably it's not a good illustration, but it does have some merit in, in pointing out the fact that 
the bus runs on other energy rather than the timetable. The same with the plane. And um, what, is, what does Romans say? What the law was powerless to do, I'm reading from Romans 8 verse 3, yep. what the law was powerless to do and is weakened by the sinful nature. And I should read uh, Romans 8 verse 4, which follows on from what I've just quoted, which says, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. So yes, the law is powerless to save and we need a power outside of um, ourselves to enable us to, what do I say? Keep the law. Yeah, or yeah, or in, in harmony with the lesson, abide by the terms of the covenant. Yes. So I've, I've formed a contract with God. God, I want you in my life. And God says, well, I help you. This is the way you ought to live if you want. So it's very important to understand our standing before or our natural state. And Paul said in Romans 7 also that we've been sold to the devil since yeah. our, our first parents, you know, were, uh, decided to disobey God. And he cries out, O wretched man that I am, who Didn't shall deliver me? Yes. And I thank God through Jesus Christ that I and had And I, I think salvation comes when we realise in ourselves, we can't keep the law. We can't. We have do to it. cry out for a greater power, yeah. and that is God who is willing to help us. Mm. Let's come to a different text now. In Psalms 23, verse 3, it, it states that He, God, leads me in paths of righteousness, righteousness for His name's sake. Can you give me a more concrete meaning to these paths of righteousness that God wants to lead me in? Rosemary. Okay, David declares that because of God's own moral uprightness, God will never lead us astray. And these um, paths of righteousness are the safe paths that God has built for us to walk on spiritually. Um, he wants to lead us on these paths because it is for our good, both here in this life and for eternity. It's always for our good to do what God has asked. Thank you. What are these safe paths of righteousness, Adrian? Well, it's interesting, Steve, that the figure of a path is an oft-used scriptural uh, metaphor or figure, if you want, whatever, yes. whatever word you want to use. As a matter of fact, there are over 100 references to the word path in the book of Psalms and in the book of Proverbs. Psalms 119, all about the law. What does it say? Verse 1, Happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. The church in the book of Acts was referred to as the way. Yes. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And Jesus himself referred to the narrow way and the broad way. So it's an oft used figure of scripture to indicate if you're on the narrow road going to the kingdom or the wide road where you can carry all the excess baggage you want to and you know the destination. <laughs> Thank you for that. And you've, you've um, come into the next question I was going to ask Rosemary about the ways, um, God's ways, walking in his ways. Can you add to that, Rosemary? Okay, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 33. It says, God says, You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may be well with you and that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. Now, some people think that 
God is saying, you have to obey me or else. Some think that if they do these things outwardly, then they've scored points with God and God has to give them eternal life. Yes. But God isn't saying that at all. God is is saying he wants us to obey him from a willing heart, from a loving heart, um, because then we will have a relationship with him and an enjoyment of doing his will. Yes. Which will bring us real joy in our lives. Yes. And if we don't do it that way, we are not going to be uh, obeying God. Yes. We have to obey. There's a spiritual component of the law and there's the letter of the law. Yeah. And Jesus showed in Matthew chapter um, 5 and 6 that there is that spiritual part of the law which should be controlling your motives and everything you do. That's very important. Thank you for that. Mm. And so paths are designed to lead us somewhere. And, and I suppose the bottom line is, Adrian, where do walking in these paths lead us to paths of righteousness well paths of righteousness uh, walking down that track obviously ultimately lead us to the kingdom mm-hmm. god wants us to to operate this way in order that we might uh, shall i say um how will i put this uh, preparatory to a kingdom walk Great peace of they that love thy Lord, the book says. And, and, uh, nothing shall offend say? them. Yeah, nothing shall offend them. Yeah. Mm. That's very important, isn't it? Yeah. If we become God-like in walking in paths of righteousness, we shall abide with him forever. And, and, and Steve, God wants everybody to be saved. Yes. He doesn't want anybody missing in the kingdom. Yes. It's First Timothy 2, two four, verse is it? 4. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for that. Uh, it's interesting in the fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy is structured according to covenant law. On this basis, Deuteronomy 7.7 7, um, states that the, the people of Israel were not anything fantastic. They weren't greater in number than any people. In fact, they were the fewest in number. Mm. Was this an unconditional election to salvation while all the other nations or Gentiles were chosen to be rejected and lost, as some people believe? No, let's look at Exodus 19 verse 6. It says, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Now, God didn't choose them because of their great numbers. He didn't choose them because they were better than anyone else. He chose them because they were the offspring of Abraham through whom the Messiah was to come and die for the whole world. The Israelites were not exclusive. God said that strangers, people who were not Israelites, could become an Israelite if they, well, joined them, if they followed him, if they chose to. God did not reject anybody who wanted to come to him. But they were supposed to be priests and holy people for God so that the other nations could see that their God was the true God compared to their the other idols. But also, as I said before, they had righteous laws, righteous judgments, a happy society, um, and they prospered. Yes. And the other nations would say, let's go and join and and that's what it is even in some of the prophecies that others from other nations would come and join. So Israel was to be a vehicle through whom God could reach the world. They were to teach and to show by example the love of God and the righteous laws of God. Thank you for that. Also, I find in the New Testament, 
in 1 Peter 2.9, it says that, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people, so that you should show forth the praise of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Mm. How, would we, how are we to understand the similar language and including the, uh, the uh, conditional element in Exodus 19.6 and 1 Peter 2.9 for the New Testament people? That which, was, that which was assigned to the Old Testament church, the children of Israel, is now assigned to the New Testament church, the church. And so uh, what was said of Israel, holy nation, royal priesthood, etc., now applies to the, to the church. Okay, so the church has inherited all the um, promises and blessings and also the responsibilities of Old Testament Israel. Is that correct? Yes, and it would, would seem from the text, a text in Matthew, was it Matthew 22, uh, 21 verse 43, that um, the responsibilities of Israel are now transferred to the Christian church. I'll, I'll give my responsibilities to a nation bringing forth fruit. And one of their jobs they had to do was calling other nations or peoples into their community, much like the mm. New Testament church. It's, this is a big responsibility to call people to repentance, isn't it, Rosemary? It is. And if we think of the second commandment of the ten, God says, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. In other words, you shall not take it upon you as like when you get married, you take your husband's name. Don't take my name upon you and then live differently to what I have asked you to live because you will, you will not be forgiven. You have to change your ways and come back to me and show my right ways. We have a responsibility as people who profess to belong to God to show by precept and example the love of God to other people. But then other people have the responsibility to accept it. Yes. God doesn't save us in our disobedience. He doesn't save us if we do not turn to him. He can't. We stop him. He yes. wants to. But it's all up to us of whether or not he can. And so it's a free gift from God. We need to take hold of it. Yes, and we can take hold of it and keep it. Think of how wonderful this world would be if everyone lived by the first four commandments, um, love to God, and the last six commandments, love, love to, to our fellow men. Mm. The world would be a much, much better oh, place. Oh, much happier. Yes. And, um, and, and we can keep the law as... As um, the Bible says in an example in Genesis 17, verse 9, God said that to Abraham, You shall keep my covenant, therefore, you and your seed after you in their generation. The seed here meaning your um, descendants after you. So, what does the text reveal about what God expects in his human um, disciples, Adrian? Uh, well, maybe summarising uh, the response to Abraham uh, in the next chapter, Genesis 18, verse 19, it says, For I have chosen him, Abraham, so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right. So the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he promised him. Yes, yeah, so God knew he was going to keep the commandments, didn't yeah. he? His heart. Mm, that's right. Can you give examples of the conditional element of the covenant law language given in the Old Testament, Rosemary? I can. In Exodus 19, verse 5, it says, Now, therefore, if 
you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. Then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. So there's an if and an then, um, and, or an if and a but if. So there's always condition to God's promises. And it's up to us to fulfill the conditions that God sets there. So in this verse, he's saying, if you will obey my voice and keep my commandments, then I will bless you. God is waiting to bless us. So, we are the ones who stop him from. So that here. means that our blessing or curses is really up to how we respond exactly. to God's commandments. Is that mm. correct? That's right. We're not forgetting, of course, that we need help. Yes. Mm. And God, God is the one who helps us to do yeah. it. But we shouldn't decide straight off that I can't keep the commandments just because I can't do it in my own strength. No. Then I seek to receive strength outside myself. Is that God right? wants us to recognize that he is the one who gives us the power to obey. When we turn to him for that power, he's willing to give it to us. Yes. Is there any other examples in the Old Testament, Adrian? Yeah, Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. Yes. Whole chapters devoted to curses and blessings. Same sort of thing. Mm. If you do these things, then you'll be blessed. Yes. If you don't do these things, then you'll be cursed. So it reinforces the conditional element of God's blessings yeah. and brings it upon us, doesn't it? Yeah, but recognising that the model, the, the covenant model borrowed from the ancient Near East falls down on the, on the fact that um, the, uh, the, the leader says, this is what I want you to do. And the, 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 um, the, the subject... Sir. Yeah. It says, well, I, I, I can do this, but when it comes to the Christian model, I need help to do what the, the king of the universe has asked me to do. It's much like an employer-employee situation, isn't it? Yeah. When you work for someone, he brings up all the conditions that you have to meet to work for this person. If you do it well, you will receive a subsidy or a wage, won't you? But sometimes he has to give you the tools to do it with. Yes. And so... We've seen the examples of covenant law in the Old Testament and indeed uh, most of Exodus and Deuteronomy is full of these uh, conditional elements. Is there any, any uh, examples in the New Testament of covenant law that we can see a continuation of this conditional element of how God treats people? Mm. There are 27 books in the New Testament and at least 11 of them have if and but if statements in them. And the best ones that we can see are in Revelation 2 and 3, which talk to uh, the seven churches of Revelation, as we, they are called. In each one of them, God has an introduction, um, or Jesus has an introduction to the church. Then he has a historical prologue or opening. And then he has stipulation or requirement, the blessings and, blessings and cursings, and then an encouragement from the Holy Spirit to end with. And they're all the same. They are the covenant promises. Thank you, Rosemary. Thank you, Adrian. In the precepts of God's holy law, he has given a perfect rule of life and God's covenant makes his claims upon human beings until the close of time. Christ showed by his example and his teachings that obedience to its precepts comprises the whole duty of man. This covenant law of God's Ten Commandments can only be kept through a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, who died for us and ministers for our salvation today. Why don't you pray for this power of the Holy Spirit so that you can enter into the covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ? We are glad you joined with us today on Let God Speak. 
You can catch up on all our past programs on our website, 3abnaustralia.org.au. Teachers Helps can be downloaded from there also. You can email us on lgs at 3abnaustralia.org.au. Thank you. You have been listening to Let God Speak, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. To catch up on past programs, please visit 3abnaustralia.org.au. Call us in Australia on 02 4973 3456 or email radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you.